Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. A familiar story. But in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, the Word of God says, Immediately Jesus made His disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of Him to the other side. Well, He dismissed the crowd. And after He dismissed them, He went up to the mountainside by Himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, being buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. And during the fourth watch of night, Jesus went out to meet them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. In verse 28, Peter had to talk. He said, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on this water. Jesus said, Come. And Peter got down out of his boat. He was walking on water. And he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And I want to preach to you this morning on this simple subject. A shift in your priority. Let's pray. Father, bless this word. Give us ears to hear, a heart to understand, eyes to see. Father, I pray for anyone like Peter, it feels like they're going under. Help us to learn this morning what it means to shift our priorities back to you, Lord. And I pray, Father, you would bless this word and use me to teach it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat as we get into the word of God this morning. And we talk about this subject, a shift in priority. You know, I started thinking about this because a couple of months ago, Jerick and I were celebrating our one-year anniversary. One year, that's nothing, I know, I know. But we were celebrating our one-year anniversary, and after service on Sunday, we head out to go on our cruise for one week. And the reason I love to cruise is because my phone doesn't work, and I get to not even worry about any of you at church or anything. And as I got on to the cruise, we were excited, and I got into the room, and I always observed things. I started looking at things. I started watching the ocean. I started looking at everything. But one thing caught my attention as I entered my cabin, and that thing caught my attention all week long. You see, in the closet of the cabin, there's a little sign that says, in case of emergency. And right under that sign that says, in case of emergency, there is a life jacket. And that life jacket is there for your safety. That life jacket is there in case the ship goes under, you put this jacket on and it helps you stay afloat. That life jacket was there in case of an emergency. But see, that life jacket, even though it was vital and even though it was important, that life jacket was placed deep down inside a closet so it would be out of sight and out of mind so that you would enjoy the rest of your week on the cruise and you would be focused on the pool, you will be focused on the buffet, the spa, the jacuzzi, the excursion, the entertainment, the shows, the relaxation, the sun, all of that was on your mind. It was a priority, but that life jacket was there only to give you peace of mind. 
but it was there tucked away deep down inside so that you would continue on the rest of your week with your daily activities and not worry about that jacket. And I started thinking, though, as I'm preoccupied with the buffet and we're preoccupied with the entertainment and everything that goes on in the cruise, I started thinking about that jacket during my week anniversary. And I realized that if this ship we're in right now would suddenly strike a leak, hit an iceberg, I know it doesn't happen, but let's just say it does, like the Titanic, and we hit something. And if that ship begins to go under, the first thing I'm running to is that jacket. And I'm running to my room, and I'm opening that closet, and I'm reaching in, and I'm grabbing this jacket, and I'm putting it on tight, and I'm going to make sure Jerrica has her jacket. I'm going to make sure it's on tight and safe. And the first thing on my mind is this jacket. The last thing on my mind is, are we going to still make it to tonight's show? Wait a minute, we had reservations. Wait a minute, what about the buffet? They were serving lobster today. What about this? What about that? But wait, I want to go to the jacuzzi. If this ship was going under, do you realize that everyone's minds would shift to the very thing they set aside? See, when you walk in on a cruise the first thing they make you do is put on the jacket to make sure it fits you. Okay, you got it. There it is. Now take it off, put it away, and don't think about it. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the entertainment. Enjoy the distractions. Enjoy everything. But when the ship goes under, it's amazing how quickly our priorities would shift. And you're not thinking about a show. You're not thinking about food. You're not thinking about the price you pay for that cruise and that ship that's going under. You're not thinking about anything. You're thinking about the very jacket. The very life jacket. You put aside. And I wonder how many of us we treat Jesus like a life jacket. You know, you get saved and you try it on and you say, okay, I'm a Christian now. Here it is. I'm born again. I'm saved. Okay, it fits. I like it. But then life happens. And we say, okay, Jesus, I love you. You're in my life. But you know what? I'm just going to put you aside. Out of sight. Out of mind. And Lord, if I need you, I'll come. Lord, if I'm in trouble, I'm going to be there. And if I need guidance, if I need healing, if I need to put my family back together, if my life is a mess, I'm going to make sure that when my life is going under, I'm going to run to Jesus. But if, if, if everything's afloat, and everything's happy, and the kids are fine, and the marriage is okay, and the bills are paid. I'm just going to put you aside because I want you, Lord, I do. But I want you out of sight and out of minds. I, in fact, many of us treat Jesus like that life jacket. We want him close enough to give us peace, but far enough where he doesn't bother us. We want him available when we're in trouble. We want Him available when we need rescue. So when life goes under and you're in crisis, you run to Jesus and say, okay, Lord, I need you now. Save me, Lord. Save my family. Save my marriage. Save my children. Help my finances. Lord, I'm sick. Lord, I'm dying. Lord, I lost my job. Lord, my life is in crisis. So, Lord, now I need you. I need you now, Lord. But now that things are okay, I want you close enough, Lord, where I know you're there. 
but I just don't want you to interfere with my life. I got too much going on. I got work. I got kids. I got bills. I got vacations. I have a house to maintain. I have a lot of problems. I have a lot of stress. I need people that need me. I'm busy and I'm busy and I'm busy. I got things on my plate. I got things on my schedule. I got people that need me. I have so much going on and right now everything's fine. So Lord, I'm just going to put you aside for a few months. I'm going to put you aside for a few years. I might put you aside for a few weeks. But when I need you and I'm in trouble, you better believe I'm running to Jesus, my life jacket, because he preserves me. This is how we treat Jesus. Out of sight. Out of mind. Filling up our days with busyness and entertainment and fun. And our focus and our mindset and our priorities have nothing to do with God on a daily until things go under. You see, it was only after Peter was going under in his storm that he looked up to Jesus and said, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need your help. Lord, I need you to save me. I need you to pull me out. It was only after he was going under that he acknowledged Jesus. You see, sometimes that's why God has to allow things in your life to go under to get your attention. And life happens so quickly, but God will let things go under to grab your heart again. And so many people, if they're honest with themselves, God is not a priority. And if we're being honest this morning in church, a lot of us need a priority shift. Amen? And I think a lot of churches need a priority shift. A lot of families need a priority shift. A lot of believers need a priority shift because we say we love God. We say He's in our lives. We, it gives us peace knowing He's there. But maybe the way you have Jesus today is the same way you have that life jacket. He's just close enough where I feel good, but far enough where He doesn't interfere with my life. And in Matthew 6.31, Jesus said this. Jesus said, Do not worry. What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans run after all of these things. Can everyone say all of these things? Say it with me. All of these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need. And look at this last verse. But seek what? First. Say that loud. First. Say it one more time. First. Shout it out. First. Hit your neighbor. First. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, don't worry about your life. But seek first the kingdom of God. See, the word first there in the Bible literally means of priority, of highest value, of highest importance. And the things in your life you value most, you're going to give time to. The things that are most important to you, you're going to sacrifice for. The things that are of highest importance, you are going to devote yourselves to. Jesus says clearly, the thing that is first in your life, that should be first, most important, of utmost priority, is God's kingdom. You say, well, what does it mean, God's kingdom? He's talking about the things of God. You should value first as most important. Your priority is God. Praying. Serving. 
teaching the gospel, reaching the lost, raising your family in the things of God, growing closer to Jesus every day, seeking the will of the Father, living a life to please Him. Everything comes first. He is first in your values. He is first in your decisions. He is first in your worldview. He is first above everything in your life. He is first, and your children should know it. He is first, and your spouse should see it. He is first, and your co-workers should see it. He is first, and the world should know it. That God comes first of most important, most value above all things. My God is first in my life. He's first. But many people can't say that. Because notice Jesus says, don't worry about life, but seek first the kingdom. It's interesting as Jesus said that God, the kingdom of God, the things of God should be first in our lives, but life gets in the way. Isn't it so true, church, that life gets in the way between you and God? I got a busy life. My life is hectic. My life is crazy. My life is going so fast. I have so much going on in my life. And Lord, I'm so, I have so much. My life is just so distracted. And life gets in the way of putting God first. And God says, that's okay. I'm just going to have to get that life of yours and make it go under. So that will grab your attention and you learn to seek me first again. And we lie to God. We lie to ourselves. I have no time. I've been so tired. I've been so busy. I've been so stressed. What's funny though, is we're never too busy for what we love. The man that says, I'm too busy to go to church is the same man that's never too busy to go to a Dolphins game on a Sunday. The one with the face paint and going crazy ah, to the worst team in the NFL. Yeah, that guy will come to church and be like this. And then say, I have no time. The woman that said, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to go to church. I'm just too busy. It's never busy to get up early the next morning to go to work. Never too busy to catch up on your Netflix shows. Can I get a witness? You're never too busy. For the things you love. You're never too busy for the things you value. But so many people convince themselves and try to convince God, I'm just too tired. I'm too busy. I'm too distracted. I got too many things going on in my life. And life gets in the way of your kingdom priorities. And I know I'm not going to get a lot of amens today and a lot of applause. I don't need that. But what God needs you to understand is your life hangs on the balance whether God is first or not. You see, a lot of us are like this empty glass. And God gives you this life. He gives you 24 hours in a day. And in this 24 hours, you fill it. Gotta go to work. Gotta help the kids out. Got my hobbies. I'm busy. I'm stressed. I got all of this going on in my life. So I gotta really pack it in. And you pack it and pack it and fill it every day, 24 hours. And then you say, if I have time, but pastor, the truth is I'm so filled with things and my schedule is so busy and I'm so filled that I, God, I, and this is God, by the way. He, he doesn't fit. And many people want this with God. Lord, I want you in my life. But you're not first. What, what's this ball doing? It's a little wobbly. 
know how many wobbly Christians I have in this church? It's a little unstable. I, I got to walk and be more cautious and more stressed out now. And, and, it's, and it's wobbly and it's going all over the place and it's up and down and left and right and it's not stable, it's not firm, and eventually it falls off. This is why so many people are living so many unstable lives. And we're wobbly Christian. A wobbly Christian says, I'm going to go to church today because I can, but I'll see you in six months. A wobbly Christian says, I'm too tired, I'm too busy, I'm too stressed, i got too much going on. And a wobbly Christian is one that says, you know what, I, I just think I, I, I'm going to take a break from church for a while. And it feels like God has just fallen off. And you don't see that person anymore praying. You don't see that person anymore serving God. You don't see that person anymore worshiping. You don't see them in church anymore. They're out in the world. They're doing things they used to not do when they knew Jesus. They're back in the world, back in the flesh. And it feels like life is just stress. It's because God is not first. And this might be you today. But see, when you decide to put God first, and have kingdom priorities. You're saying, God, you're first in my life. You're first in my values, first in my choices. You're first. In the Bible, God said, give me your firstborn child. Why did he say that? Because he wanted to tell the parents, I should be first in your child raising. God said, give me the first fruit of your crop, because he said I should be first in your finances. I should be first in your choices. You should seek me first of highest priority. And then God says, then all other things will be added on to you. So let's go ahead and add all these other things into our lives. And what's the difference now? I can walk. I'm not stable. I mean, I'm stable. I'm not wobbly. God's here. He's my foundation. He's first, so he's holding all things. God says he holds all things together. God says he is first of most important. He is the foundation. So when God is the foundation of my life, he is first in all things. And when God is first in all things, he holds my life together. So I can walk with confidence. I can walk with peace. I can walk with security. I'm not unstable. I'm not wobbly. I'm walking faithful with God. And God says I can do more in a life of a person that puts me first than one that gives me excuses. My question is, who are you today? Is God first? Revelations chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus is talking about a church. And he says to the angel of the church of Ephesus, now let me pause there and just let you know that Ephesus was a major city. Ephesus is a biblical Miami, you might say. It was a very trendy city. It was a city filled with money and fashion. It's where you went to vacation. It was beautiful. It was grand. But see, in the church of the Ephesus, the city of Ephesus had a problem with idolatry. And idolatry is anything that gets the place of God. So God writes this letter to this church in Ephesus, a church of all things, a church in Ephesus. And he says, the angel of the church of Ephesus writes, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in the right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Look at verse 2. He says to this church, I know your deeds. You know what God says first and foremost? I know you. I know you. I know your deeds. And when I first read this, I said, man, what an amazing church. I wish I had a church like that. Because notice what it says. I know your deeds. Your hard work, your perseverance. So God starts off by acknowledging you guys work hard in church. You guys are there on Sundays, you're there on Wednesdays. You preach, you teach, you disciple. You work hard to make sure the service is right. You work hard cleaning the church. You work hard serving in the ministry. You work hard worshiping. You work hard. You work hard. You work hard. And when times are tough, you persevere. What an amazing church. You persevere. 
You can't tolerate wicked, wicked men. They don't tolerate sin. You're like, wow, that's amazing. You don't tolerate wicked men. That you have tested those who claim to be apostles. He even says, you're so amazing, you even know theology and sound doctrine. You even test people in their face. That's amazing. But notice what God says. The next verse. You've persevered. You've endured hardships. As churches go through hardships, amen? amen? And God says, I know you. I've seen you. You work hard. You serve. You don't tolerate wicked people. You have sound doctrine. You endure hardships for my name. And you have not given up. You have not grown weary. And this church must be saying, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know, God, I know. I know, we're, we're a pretty awesome church, I know. And God said, yet, I want to hold this against you. And God flips it. I hold this against you. You have forsaken your what? First. Now hold that verse 4. You have forsaken your first love. So God is saying, listen, this is what God is saying. God did not tell this church, you don't love me. He did not say that. He said, no, I know you love me. You work hard. You go to church. You worship. You serve. You don't tolerate evil, wicked people. You know doctrine. You test people. You endure. You haven't given up. You guys are a great church on the outside. But the one thing I have against you is not that you don't love me. It's that you don't love me first. That's the problem. Because I can tell everyone in this church, hey, do you love God? And 100% of you would say, duh, of course, yes, I love God. If you tell the majority of professing Christians today in America, do you love God? No one in their right Christian mind is going to say yeah, a little bit, sometimes, kind of, I don't know. They're going to say, we love God. But the problem is not that you don't love God. The problem is you don't love God first. He's not first. Other things are first. Your family is first. Your job is first. Your pleasure is first. The world is first. I love you, God, but you're not first. And God says, that's why I have this against you. Because you can come to church, you can serve in the ministry, you can know sound doctrine, you can know all of that, and still not put God first in your life. In fact, the majority of us in this church today that are here worshiping and listening to me preach and serving in the ministries you serve in, chances are God is not first in your life. And God says, I hate that. I have that against you. You imagine if I tell Jericho I love you? Don't imagine that I do. And I tell her all the time. But it's not enough for me to tell Jericho I love her. I can tell Jericho I love you. But I love golf more. And golf comes first. So when the weather's right, I'm going to be out there. I love you, but I love fishing first. So when the bite is good, I'm out there. Oh, I love you. But I love this first. That's what God is saying we're doing to Him. God's not arguing that you... Love him or don't. 
God says, when I see you, what I hold against you is you don't love me first. You don't love me with passion. And God says, I want to show you a little test you can take to prove to you that God is not first in your life. From the words of God, not Pastor David, look at verse 5. God gives us five words that start with the letter R. Number one, remember. Say that with me, remember. Remember the height from which you've fallen. If you're able to remember a time you were more passionate about God than you are now, He's not first anymore. If you're able to remember and say, yeah, I remember I used to get up earlier to read my Bible, but that hasn't done that in years. I haven't done that in months. He's not first. Yeah, I remember when I used to be so excited for church and I used to go to church and serve and worship, but now you have to drag me and I actually go to the dentist more than I do church. God's not first. Yeah, I remember how excited I used to get when my favorite worship song went on. And now I'm twerking. I don't know what happened to me. Do you remember? That's all I'm asking you. Do you remember? That's what God is asking. Do, hey, do you remember how much you used to love me? When I was first in your choices? Remember the height you've fallen. What is God saying? When I'm not first, eventually you fall. It's a downhill spiral. When God is not first in your life. Remember the height you've fallen. Repent. Say that with me. Repent. There's the other R word. Repent. Why does God say repent of this? Because if God is not first, that is a sin. It's not just sad for God. It's not just disappointing for God when you're not first. God says, when I'm not first in your life, that is a serious sin that you need to repent of. And my prayer today is not that you pray to God, okay, God, thank you, I needed that. I guess I'll start maybe going back. No, I pray you fall on your face today and say, Lord, I repent of my sin of not putting you first. Remember, repent. That word repent literally means to change your mind and it causes you to turn. You know what God is saying here? I want you to remember, repent, and return. Return. God says, remember how far you've fallen. Repent, return. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand. See, what God is saying here is He says, repent and return. If you don't, I will remove. Everyone say remove. Another serious R word. Remove. My lampstand. What does that mean? In the Bible, the lampstand was a, obviously a lamp that was a stand. <laughs> but it was placed in the temple as a Reminder to the people the presence of God. God is saying, if you're not going to repent, return and put me first, you will no longer experience my presence. I will remove my presence from your life. And the Bible says where the presence of the Lord is, there's freedom. In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. And maybe today you haven't experienced joy like you used to. Because maybe today God's removed His presence from your life. That's why you feel miserable, guilty, anxious, stressed, depressed, discouraged. Because God says, if you're not going to put me first, my presence is going to go to someone that will. And he tells the church, what if God is telling forward today, I have this against you. 
I know your deeds. You're here every Sunday morning. You're here on Wednesday night. You clean the church. You work in the sound. You do the children's ministry. You work in the parking lot. You clean, you hang signs. You do this and do events. You do this and do that. The church is busy. The church is great. The pastor is amazing, of course. And think, and all of that. What if God says, but I have this against you? I'm not first. God says, remember, repent, return. And he says, repeat. He says, do the things you used to when I was first. If not, I will remove. Remember, repent, return, repeat. What did you do to get close to God? Repeat that again. Did you wake up earlier? Did you read your Bible? Did you pray more? Did you come to church? Did you serve in a ministry? Repeat. You know what God is saying ultimately here? If I'm not first in your life, not only is it a sin, but it is a sin you can turn from. Can we give God praise for at least that today? You can return to me. That's what God is saying. You can return to me. How do you know? if God is priority or not. Because in the church of Ephesus, it must have looked so like God was a priority. Look at us. We work hard. We don't tolerate wickedness. We persevere. We don't tolerate sin. We're preaching. We're teaching the gospel, reaching the laws. Of course, God's priority. And God said, no, I'm not. You're doing all of those things, but I'm not first in your, in your life. But in order to know whether God's truly priority, whether you need a priority shift or not, is in what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 32-33. Let's read it again. For pagans run after all of these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all other things will be given to you. See, the first thing God says, look at verse 32 again. Pagans run after. Say that with me. Run after. That word run after in the Greek is literally apatheo, which is where we get our word appetite from. An appetite is a craving. You know how you know whether God is first or not in your life? I'll ask you a simple question. What do you crave most in life? Lately, what's been your craving? Money? That's why you're working so much and not going to church? Power? Maybe you're craving pleasure. Acceptance? What are you craving? You crave the Lord? When you wake up in the morning, do you have such a craving to be in prayer? Do you crave to be in the presence of God and read His Word? Do you crave all week long to come to church on Sunday? Do you crave a a message from Pastor David? Do you crave worship? Do you crave the Gospel? Do you crave the presence of God? If not... And you crave more Netflix than God. And you crave more your job than Jesus. And you crave more your time with your family and pleasure. Don't tell God He's first. If you put your work and your kids and your life and your problems first above God, get real with yourself and get real with God. And say, Lord, you're not first in my life. And I miss your presence. That's why God says, what do you crave? The world craves everything but God. That's why the world is out there right now and not in here because they want to crave the world. They want to be in the beach right now. They want to be fornicating right now. They want to be in the ultra music festival right now. They want to be out in South Beach right now. They want to be out there in the world and they're craving themselves and their flesh and pleasure and money and power and acceptance and they're craving and craving and craving and they're not here because they're not craving God. But you can be in here and still not crave God. 
What do you crave? If you can go a week without spending time with God, He's not first. If you can go weeks and months without going in the assembly of fellowship in the church, He's not first. If you can go hours without even thinking about God once, if you can be out in the world and sin with ungodly people, He's not first. God said, seek first. The word seek means to look intently and focus because God says, focus on me again because the devil wants you to not focus on the things of God. And he says, focus on me. A life without godly focus is a life filled with ungodly distractions and sin. And in verse 30, we see Peter. And he reminds me a lot of you. Notice that the Bible says that Peter was walking on water. Can you imagine that moment where he's looking into the eyes of Jesus and he's experiencing a supernatural power to do the impossible. He's seen Jesus work in his life. He's seen a miracle. The guy is walking on water, people. As he's looking at Jesus, can you remember a time it felt like you were locked eye to eye with Jesus and so focused on Him that you were experiencing the power of His supernatural power and you were walking in ways you never thought you'd walk? But when he saw, when he focused on the wind, he was afraid. Took his eyes off Jesus because you can't look at Jesus and winds, one or the other. So Peter was once on top of the water and now he's under. It's interesting that the very thing you used to be on top of, now you're sinking in. You used to be on top of your addiction because you were walking in Jesus, and now you're sinking in it. You used to be on top of that sin because you knew you were walking with Jesus, and now you're going under in it. He took his eyes off Jesus. See, that's what happens when God's not first. All it takes is a priority shift. Your focus becomes a job, the kids, the grandkids, a retirement, my house, my bills, my lawn, my garden, my hobby, my problems, my stress. And you've lost focus. And an ungodly focus always brings ungodly distractions. And when he took his eyes off Jesus, he started going under. The story of my life as a pastor could be summed up in that way. I have seen more people on top go under than I've seen more people on top and stay on top. I've seen more people that used to serve here in this church, they're out there in the world, gone under. I've seen more people that were free from their sin for a moment go back to it because they went under. See, when you take your eyes off God, it's only a matter of time, church, that you start sinking, going under. The people that used to come to church and serve and worship. They crave God, the things of God. They were here Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday. And when I called, hey, I need help. I'm there, Pastor. I'm there. Because you had a craving for God. You had a craving for the lost, a craving for the Word, a craving for the kingdom. But the devil says, no, no, no. Just look at the wind. And you took your eyes off Jesus 
and you started sinking. Here's the thing that the Bible said. He did not drop under. He did not just go, go under. He started sinking. It was slowly. See, because when you sink with God, it's not suddenly. It's gradual. You slowly start drifting away from God. You slowly just say, I'm sleeping today. I, I won't read today. I'll pray later. You start sinking. Because something or someone got your eyes off the Lord. You love Him. But he's not first. How many people, church in the Bible, went under? Because the devil was smart. I said, look at the wind, Peter. That is so scary, isn't it? Peter, look this way. Look, Peter, get your eyes off Jesus for a moment. Look. And he started sinking. I wonder how many people I'm preaching to today that feel like they're sinking. I think it's everyone here because you can hear a pin drop in this carpet. Eve was with God, loved God. The devil said, look Eve, look at that forbidden fruit. And her focus went to pleasure. Maybe that's why God's not first in your life. It's pleasure. For Solomon, who loved God, he used to worship cattle by the thousands in the altar. The Bible says when, when Solomon came to worship God and sacrifice to the altar, that the altar could not contain what Solomon was offering because of how passionate he was about God, that the altar began to tip over. That, that's passion, that you're giving God so much. That's verse 10. Chapter 10. But verse chapter 11, you see that after time, Solomon's heart turned away from God and he started worshiping idols. You might say, well, how did that happen? How do you go from being on top to going under that way? The Bible makes it clear. Solomon loved foreign women. Men. It only takes one woman to get you under. And for Solomon, it was a thousand women. And his priority shifted. Martha loved Jesus, but she was busy in the kitchen, working, responsibilities. Is that why God's not first in your life? Elijah prayed and fire came down. He loved God, but Jezebel, another woman, let's help put it together, but Jezebel, and he had so many problems that he was focusing on his problems and his stress and everything going on that he just went away. Jehoshaphat was a man that loved God, but he formed a friendship with a man named Ahab who was married to Jezebel. And because of his friendship with Ahab, Jehoshaphat started worshiping idols. Could it be that friendships and the wrong friendships are the reason you've strayed from God? What do they all have in common? They were once on top of the water. They were once on top with God. They were once putting God first. Let me close with this today. You guys okay this morning?
you're here today. You're saying, Pastor, I wasn't expecting this. Maybe today God is saying, do you remember when I was first? Will you repent and return? Or will you continue to live your life without my presence? He's here today saying you can return. Verse 30, the Bible says, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. But I love that the story doesn't end there because God had so much more for Peter. And God has so much more for you. Don't let the end of your story be, and I sank. And I went under. Let's make that the middle part of your book. Amen? And when he was sinking and going under, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter acknowledged that he needed to get back up with Jesus. And he said, Lord, save me. You have to first acknowledge you're going under. You have a choice. Peter had a choice. I can keep trying. I can keep pretending I'm okay. Or I can tell Jesus, Lord, I'm sorry. I've gone under. My eyes have gone away from you, Lord. I have not put you first. He acknowledged he was going under. And I love that Jesus didn't say, well, are you going to do it again? Why'd you do it? Didn't you try? Why? No. The minute he cried out, the Bible says immediately. Come on, praise God. Praise Jesus for that. He said immediately. He reached out because when the child of God is going under and that child says, Lord, save me, that child knows that at any moment, instantly, Jesus reaches and says, here I am. He reached out his hand. Notice, he reached out his hands and he caught him. And some scholars believe that that phrase, he caught him, means that Peter was up to his nose. It was the last second of him dying. Aren't you grateful for a God that says, even if you're at the point of death, because I was not first in your life, you can reach out to me and I will grab you. But you have to cry out to me again. Acknowledge. And at that moment, there was a priority shift. Peter no longer sank because his shift happened and he prioritized Jesus again. You need a priority shift. And that shift needs to start first with God again. And in verse 31, Jesus hears the words of Peter, Lord, save me. And he grabbed him. And I want to pray for all of us here today. Because maybe that person sitting right next to you is going under and you don't even know it because you see them here in church today. But my prayer today is that you would remember. And if you remember a time that you were closer than you are right now to Jesus, then you would repent from Him. Return to Him. And I want to give you one verse that I believe is for today. Can I give you this one verse? It's going to help you as you leave church today. 1 Corinthians 7.35 Paul said this to a church. He says, I'm saying this for your benefit. Not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve 
the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. What an amazing verse. Amen, church. Paul tells the church, I want you. I want you to serve the Lord the best. The best because God deserves the best of who you are. He deserves the best of your life. He deserves the best of your time. He deserves the best of your devotion. But examine yourself and really ask yourself, has God been getting the best out of me? Or not? And ask yourself, what do I need to do that's going to help me serve God best? Do I have to wake up earlier to be in His Word? That's best. Okay, I'll do it. Do I have to break up with this person? Do I have to end this friendship? Do I have to quit this job? Do I have to wake up earlier? Do I have to be in the front porch of church on Saturday night? I don't know. But what do you have to do today that will help you serve God best and put Him first? Let's all stand to our feet today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let's have a little priority shift today. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, would you grab the hearts now, Lord, of those that are sinking? That's you this morning. You're saying, God, I'm sinking. He's not first in my life. Would you acknowledge that today? Would you show me your hand today and say, Pastor, this is me. I need you to pray for me. God bless you. God bless you. You there, you, you, you all across the room today. I want to pray for all of us here today because I believe all of us need this message. It doesn't matter how bad you're sinking. You can cry out to Jesus today and he will save you. So I want to pray two specific prayers. The first one is for anyone that feels like they're going under and feel hopeless. I want to tell you today, Jesus Christ knows you, he loves you, and he died on the cross for your sins. And the same words that Peter uttered out of his drowning mouth, Lord, save me, is the same words you can tell Jesus today and say, Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. And today I ask you to be the Lord of my life. He died on the cross for your sins. And he rose again. We're going to celebrate Easter in two weeks where we acknowledge that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So my first prayer today is for you to make that choice. If you know without a doubt that Jesus Christ is not the Lord of your life, but you want to make it today, would you put your hand up today and pray this with me? Say, Lord Jesus, save me. Forgive me of my sins. And today, I ask you to be the Lord of my life. Forgive me for the way I've lived my life. But today, I believe that you died on the cross and rose again for my sins. You are the only way to have. And today I put my faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name. And if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I'm, I am a believer. And I know I have Jesus. I love the Lord, but I don't love Him first. If that's you today. Just acknowledge it. Would you just tell the Lord today, Lord, I miss you. I remember, when you fill in the blank, remember, Lord, when I used to pray. Remember, Lord, when I used to come to church. You remember, God, I want that again. I want that passion again. Don't let the devil lie to you that it's too late, it's too far gone. You can return to the Lord today. That's why the Lord brought you here today, to let you know you can return. And I'm grateful for a God that says, when you're drowning and you call out to me, I will grab you again. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every person here 
who acknowledges today you are not first in their life, but they treat you like a life jacket, Lord. You are out of sight and out of mind, but it's only when we're in trouble that we run to you, Lord. Father, we repent of that sin. And I pray, Father, for every person here today that desires to return to you in repentance, that you will grant them that and give them the strength to get back on top of the water, Lord, and walk with you again, Jesus. Remove all distractions and reveal to us what will help us serve you best with little to no distractions. Because you deserve the best of our lives. So help us as we leave today to put you first above all things and give you the best of who we are. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Come on, give God some praise today. I want to thank you guys.